0: going to go right on through to Revelation as we're looking at the Spirit of God, how, how how important, how essential, how how needed and necessary He is. The Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity. He, Holy Spirit, is at work in our lives. God the Father has sent Him and gave Him to us to be our empowerment to live for God. And last week we were in Acts chapter 5, and we're going to continue looking into that chapter this morning. We saw last week about Ananias and Sapphira, and if you missed it, go to the website and listen to it. It will bless you. God is a God of compassion and mercy. He gives opportunity for individuals to repent, right? repentance is a doorway to blessing. God cares about meeting your needs. Read the Bible. It will be clear to you. God is concerned about you, and He wants you to be uh, able to be a blessing in this this life, and and He wants to work wonderfully in each of your lives. And so now in Acts chapter 5, as we're going to continue here, and we're going to look at verse uh, 29, but I want to just capsulize what happened after Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to the apostles. They were trying to get over on God. They weren't really believers, but we're not going to go back into that again. Go listen to the last week's sermon. But after that happened, the the church began to increase as believers began to have a reverence for God, and signs and wonders were, were done by the apostles, and the church began to grow. And the, the, the high priest and, and those who were the religious leaders saw, saw what was happening here with the apostles. That they saw that the Holy Spirit came upon them and wonders were being done. The church was growing and they became fearful. It wasn't the people who became fearful. It was the religious leaders who became fearful. And so they took Peter because Peter was out preaching Jesus. He was preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ, conquering death, and that there was life in his name. And the chief priests and, and the council, they went and they grabbed Peter and they took him and the apostles and they threw them in prison and closed the door. Isn't that wonderful? Here's the here's the, the apostles preaching a gospel message, healing people, Raising people, uh, you know, all manner of things were being done. If someone came to your house, if someone in your house was sick, and someone came to your house and healed them, would you want them to get thrown in prison for doing that? How absurd is that? But this is the reality of what was being done. They saw these men healing people in the name of Jesus, and they said, stop that. Don't do that anymore. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Brilliant. What wonderful... What wonderful thoughts they had, huh? I would say to them, well, keep on going. Go, when you're done here, go to the next town and heal them and, and, and do a wonderful work in their lives. But no... Because they wanted, the religious leaders wanted to control the people, wanted to manipulate the people, wanted the people to feel that they were worthless and and just little worms, and they had to come crawling to the religious leaders so the religious leaders can perform a ceremony for money over you, and they, they could get rich, and you would still be creeping around thinking you were a worthless human being. They were controllers, they were abusers, they were manipulators, oppressors. Jesus came to set us free from that, from religious tyranny, from religious abuse, from religious bondage. Jesus said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he passed it on to the disciples and and Peter was preaching that and as a result they got thrown in prison. But God sent an angel, a holy angel, and he goes into the prison and he um, takes their shackles, they fall from them and they go back out and they're preaching Jesus again. The chief priests didn't scare them. Prison didn't frighten them, didn't dismay them, didn't deter them. They got out of prison and went right back onto the street corners preaching Jesus. What would you have done if the religious leader says, shut your mouth. Don't you ever talk about Jesus again or we'll imprison you again. And they were beaten. They were beaten and put in prison. But when they got out, they said, there's something greater here. And that's the gospel of Jesus. And in verse 29... Well, verse 28, that's when they said they took Peter and the apostles and they put him before the high priest in the council and all these men in their religious garb with those stern faces, those nasty looking, mean looking faces, pointing fingers at them saying, didn't we give you strict orders not to preach about Jesus? And Peter, you know, Peter, you remember Peter, in, when, when Christ, when they had, before the Holy Spirit was outpoured, when Peter was, when they had taken Jesus and they took him before the high priest, and they beat him and Caiaphas, and Peter denied the Lord three times, there was a little girl who came up to Peter and says, you were with them. And Peter said, no, 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 not me, I wasn't there. And he even cursed, the Bible says. Three times he denied the Lord. But now, the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, and there's a different man here. What makes the difference in Peter now? It's the Holy Spirit in him. That where once he was cowardly and afraid in the natural, which, which isn't, which is understandable, now he gets filled with the Holy Spirit and it's like he ate his spinach bone. Now he's not afraid of their faces anymore. He's not afraid of their words anymore because he has the Holy Spirit in him and he's now boldly going to... He says to them in verse 29, But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. Wow, what a slap in the face that was that Peter just gave them to religious leaders of the day. But look at verse 28, before that. These religious leaders, they said to him, You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us, meaning the blood of Jesus. But you know what spin is? You ever hear the phrase spin? They try to spin it. And these men were as guilty as the day is long. And now they're trying to say that Peter is trying to put guilt upon them for the death of Christ. But if you were to look back in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, I believe it's verse 25, where the the chief priests and the the council, they stirred up the people. You remember when they brought Jesus before Pilate and Pilate, what was they put him on trial? And they says, we want him, we want him put to death. And Pilate says, I don't find any, any wrongdoing that deserves death with this man. And he tried to get out of it. And he said, here's a man Barabbas, Barabbas, and, and Barabbas, and we'll let him go. And, uh, we'll put him in, in the place or whatever. And the people said what? The people said, no, give us Barabbas. Let him go free and crucify Christ. And, and Pilate was like, no, I don't want to do this. And the people kept yelling all the more because they were instigated by the chief priests and the, and the council. And the people instigated by them said, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate came out and he says, he says, I can't do this. And Pilate himself, he got water and he washed his hands and he says, I am innocent of this man's blood because there's no guilt in him. And the chief priests and the scribes, the ones who are here facing Peter saying, you're trying to put this guy's blood on us, this man's blood on us. They're the very ones that stirred the people this cry out the next part where the people cried out to Pilate. When Pilate said, I wash my hands of this man's blood, he's innocent. The people cried out, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. This is what they cried out, being led by the chief priests and scribes. You see the hypocrisy here. The chief priests now go to Peter and said, you're trying to tell them that his blood is on us. When they told the people to cry out, Let his blood be upon us. They wanted Jesus dead so bad that that they did whatever it took to see him crucified. But little did they know that he was the Lord of glory who would rise again from the dead. Amen. Hallelujah. And so Peter answered and he said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Peter and the apostles had a boldness. They had a desire in their heart to be obedient to the word and the teachings of God. How about us today? Are we desirous to be obedient to the words and the teachings of Christ? Wouldn't we rather obey God than obey the the, the dictates of men that want us to go against the teachings of Christ, that want us to live in disregard of the scriptures of the Word of God? God wants us to live according to the counsel of His Word. We'll never be perfect people, and we can't be on the face of this earth, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can certainly change our lives, can certainly be changed, and we can be able to begin to turn our lives around to live for the Lord when Christ came into my life the things I used to do I don't do them anymore why? because the Holy Spirit came into my life and transformed me and changed me and it's not just me Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of men and women, countless men and women, right here in this room, can testify that when Christ came into your life, you were a changed person. Amen? And only by His power and transformation were you able to live a different lifestyle. I don't live the lifestyle I used to live anymore because I'd rather obey God than man. He is the truth. And so Peter said that to, the, to him. And he goes on to say, "...the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins." Christ the Lord became our Savior, and we are witnesses of these things. How many of you know you are a witness? If you are a born-again creation, if you are a believer in Jesus, your life is to give witness to the wonder-working power of a living and a real Savior in God. And if you don't know him as Savior and Lord, you need to ask him into your life to come in and and say, Lord, I repent of my sins, come into my life and be my Savior and Lord. Give me your Holy Spirit that I can understand and know your teachings and live accordingly. Praise the Lord. We're all going to die. Every one of us in this room will not live forever in these bodies. Someday we will die. Sooner or later we will die. But where we go from there is what matters. We can either go to live with the Lord for all of eternity in that glorious kingdom where the Bible says there's no more sickness, no more disease, no more death, no more dying. You've heard my testimony. My mother was a godly woman when I was a little boy, eight years old. And she told me, she called me, she said, Son... I am going to go to be with the Lord. He's going to take me. But I want you to love God. And I want you to understand one thing. That God is a good God. He loves you. He loves me. And I will be with him. Don't cry for me. Help your family. Help your father. Help your brother. That's what Jesus calls us to do. To believe on him. That he is a good and wonderful God. And to help each other. In, as the, those of us who are left. And I cried. I said, No, Mom, you're not going to die. You're going to live. But she died. She suffered. I was by her side when she cried out in agony. Nothing I could do. My little heart was broken. I wish I had superpowers to just heal her, but I didn't have them. I couldn't do it. She died. And yet, in the years of my ministry, I've seen people with cancer miraculously healed. I've seen people, I've seen a woman who was told she had six weeks to live, there was nothing else they could do. She laid down on her couch, heard the word of God, and she was healed, and she lived, and she lived, and that cancer was gone. I've seen it time and time again. Some people healed of cancer, totally. Others died. I don't know. I can't explain why this one, why that one, but I know that our God is a miracle-working God and He calls me to pray over people and believe God for their healing. I've seen too many miracles... To, to say that their miracles are not for today. They are. They're real. God is a miracle-working God. But the greatest miracle is not physical healing. The greatest miracle is that you are born again, that you know that if you die today, you would be in the kingdom of God forever where there is no more sickness, disease, death, or dying, no more hunger or thirst. That is a glorious promise. That's what God wants us to strive for. And when someone leaves this body and they're believers, we 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 miss them sorely, or, or we will cry and weep. And that's a good thing. But at the same time, inwardly there's got to be some kind of rejoicing, knowing that they're with the Lord. What are we living for? We're living for the day we will leave these bodies and be with the Lord. We'll miss those that that are not with us anymore. But yet we have that inner peace knowing that they're with the Lord. And someday we'll be with them forever. Never to know pain or suffering again. And so we encourage one another. Build up your faith. Live for Jesus because someday you're going to see Him face to face. And we want to hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Fight that fight of faith. It is not easy, but it's a fight, Paul says. Fight that fight of fate. These, these apostles, they were persecuted. They were beaten by the chief priests, by the religious leaders, telling them, you can't do this. How many of you know there's people out there to tell you don't go to this church or that church because they preach the Bible? Well, let me tell you, wherever the Bible is preached, there's liberty and there's life if it's preached by the power and anointing of the Spirit of God. If there's someone preaching the Word without the Spirit of God, they're preaching bondage to you. The Bible says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Hallelujah. And so they went out, and look at verse 32, and it says, "...and we are His witnesses to these things, and also, so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him." The Word of God here tells us, again, we've seen it throughout the Gospel, throughout all the Word of God. God gives the Holy Spirit for a reason and a purpose. And the greatest foundational purpose, the greatest reason that God gives us the Holy Spirit is that we can live for Him and be witnesses for Christ Jesus. Everything else is secondary. Working signs and wonders of mirror, that's secondary. That's not the main reason and purpose for the Holy Spirit. Although He can He does does He do those things? Yes. But what is the most important thing that God gives us the Holy Spirit for? To transform us. That we can live for God. Without the Holy Spirit, as much as you want to, as much as you try, you can't please God. But with the Holy Spirit in us, He gives us that ability to live for God because God says, I will give and pour out my Holy Spirit upon you, then you will be my witnesses. Then, when you have the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. And the Apostles here says, we are his witness, but so also, meaning because the Holy Spirit is in us, so also is the Holy Spirit witnesses. And he says, whom God has given, meaning that it's not something you have to look forward to. God already made the Holy Spirit available, has already poured out the Holy Spirit to whoever wants Him. You've got to want the Holy Spirit. It's not just a magical thing that... Well, when we receive... Listen to me. Don't misunderstand me. When we receive Christ into our lives... We receive forgiveness of sin when we say, Lord, be my Savior, forgive me, I repent of my sins, forgive me, I want to live for you, help me, give me your Holy Spirit. When you pray that the Holy Spirit is in you, he comes in, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the love of God, the cleansing of God, the Spirit of God. But we have to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us, to release his power in us so that we can live. We've got a dialogue. Listen, we must dialogue with the Holy Spirit. If someone comes into your house and you don't speak to them and you just say, go to your room and just be there, but I don't want to talk to you. I just want to know that you're there. How cool is that? It's not, is it? If you came to my house and I said, go into that room and just stay there and just don't say anything. I just, I want you to be there. What would you say to me? Huh? Come on, be honest. What would you say to me? Don't don't say it, don't say it. (laughs) But that's like the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. We can't ignore Him. We've got to talk to Him. We've got to say, I want you active in my life. I want to fellowship with you. I want to talk with you. I want you to help me, to guide me. Because the Bible says He gives us the Holy Spirit to be our helper, to come alongside of us, to help us to live for God. And so the Holy Spirit is in your life and he wants to empower you, but he wants you to have a relationship with him just as you do with Father God and with Jesus. You've gotta, we've gotta have a relationship with him by talking with him and saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to make the word of God alive to me. I want you to help me throughout this day. I need wisdom in my decisions. I need help in all the things that I face every day. And I depend upon you, Holy Spirit, to help me. And He will. Don't lock Him up in a room. Don't put Him away somewhere and turn the key. Let Him out. Let Him fellowship with you. Let Him eat at your table when you have dinner. You know, don't go to the room and slide a tray under the door. Open the door and say, come, eat at the table. That's what He wants us to do. And it says, the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. What do they mean, obey him? Does it mean you've got to do everything right before he comes? No. That you obey him in the sense that God says, I want to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Ask and you shall receive. If you obey that command that God wants, to, wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that if you just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, you're obedient to the pledge to the desire you're obedient to the desires of God. You're obedient to the will and working of God. God wants you to be filled. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, it says, in those days the disciples were multiplying. And this was in the midst of persecution. They were being beaten and everything else, but in the midst of all that, they were were growing. They were growing. And there there were there was there was the woman, the Hebrews and the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distributions. And then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples, and they said, "It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom." And they chose Stephen, verse five. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. You see, even there, there's divine order in, the, in, a, in that in that sense. That the apostle says we need we need to be focused on getting the word of God so we can build the people up, but we can't neglect these widows who have a need. God is concerned about people who have needs, and God wants the church, the body of Christ. To meet those needs. And so what does God do? He puts a man or a woman that is filled with the Holy Spirit in charge of taking care of the needs. Because when the Holy Spirit is in that leader, in that person who is going to minister to the needs, He knows that with the Holy Spirit is going to make sure they have a heart of compassion and they have the right spirit. Because that, why we've seen it throughout the Old Testament. Whenever God wants someone to minister minister, take care of his people, he always puts his spirit upon them first. Never has God in his word, never has he taken a man and says, just go and take care of my people. He says, no, first come over here. The Holy Spirit's got to be upon you. And then in the case of the New Testament, in you, then you can minister to the needs of my people. And so they got Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And listen. Uh, and they, verse 6 and they set these men before the apostles divine order and they laid their hands upon these men not to get them filled with the Holy Ghost because they already were but they laid hands upon them because it's divine order and they gave them they acknowledged that these men were being put in a position of ministry by the church divine order platoon divine order Holy Ghost filled people because God is concerned about you, every one of you. God wants your needs to be met. And when you're in a church, in a place where there's a man or woman filled with the Holy Spirit, they're going to meet those needs, spiritual needs above all. But as the church grew, they were able to minister to the needs of the widows who weren't able to work. It was a lot different world then than it is now. Woman, you can go out and get jobs today. But back in those days, there was no equal opportunity for women. Widows had it rough. But God had his eye upon them. And he says, Get seven men filled with the Holy Spirit and have them meet the needs of those widows. Every one of them. And it says, and the word of God spread, and they increased. We have a wonderful word, a wonderful God and Savior. And in verse number, chapter number six, verse number ten, the church was growing. Everything was was going well, and and we, and then there was those that came against. These were people who were synagogue leaders, and they came against Peter, and they tried to debate with him against Jesus, but the Holy Spirit rises up within, within Peter and them. And in verse number uh, 10, it says, And they, the, those disputers, and they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. You see, the Holy Spirit rises up within you and gives you the ability to say what needs to be said in the time that it needs to be said. It's not that you have brilliant brain and head knowledge. I encourage you to study. I encourage you to, to open books and to read and to encounter. But the greatest thing, the greatest thing you can have is the Holy Spirit in you who will bring to remembrance. Jesus said, when I give you the Holy Spirit, he will bring to remembrance everything that I said and he will teach you. And it also says, Jesus also said that if they heal you before courts and men, that You understand what Jesus is saying? Not everything is going to be lovely and wonderful. They will heal you. They will bring you before magistrates. They will bring you on trial. But fear not. Because in those times I will give you Bible. The Holy Spirit will open your mouth and give you what is to be said. See, we think when we're filled with the Holy Spirit that there will be no persecutions, that everything is going to be wonderful and lovely. No, that's not the word of God. We live in a world where there's the kingdom of darkness is fighting hard against the kingdom of light. Lie, The kingdom of lies is fighting hard against the kingdom of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we have the Holy Spirit in us, we're in a battlefield. And although things may come hard against us, Yet he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And so we fear not, because we have the power of God, the wisdom of God, alive in us in the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit of the living God. And in chapter 7, verse 51, just give me five more minutes. In Acts chapter 7, verse number 51, we again see here, where, where there was great things happening. The apostles were doing great and wonderful things. And it says here in verse number uh, 48, However the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build me, says the Lord? Or what place is there... Uh, for my uh, for my repose, it says, "Was it not my hand which made all these things?" He goes on to say, "You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears." Whoa, wow! You hear what he's saying? He's talking to the to the religious leaders. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always, always, are always, are always, not once in a while, are always resisting who? You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. What is he saying to them? The Holy Spirit The power of God is trying to get through to you. That God loves you. That God sent Christ to die for you. The Holy Spirit lifts up Jesus as Savior and Lord. The Holy Spirit, as we saw in the other verses, gives witness to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's function and purpose is to make Jesus known as Savior and Lord of glory. To make known the love of Father God for every individual who lives and breathes and moves. It's God's desire that none perish. And it is the Holy Spirit who tries to get through to the people. And many of the regular people, the regular folk, received with gladness the gospel of Christ and got filled with the Holy Spirit. But these religious leaders were uncircumcised in their heart. And in their ears. And as a result, they hardened their hearts. They didn't want to hear the good news of the gospel. And they kept resisting, resisting the Holy Spirit who was trying to get through. Hard hearted people, stiff necked people, meaning they weren't willing to turn from their ways. They were, in other words, they were set in their ways, and that was it. Nothing or no one was going to turn their neck any other way. They were set on a course and that was it. A course of religiosity. Religiosity will kill you. Religiosity is wicked. Religiosity is abusive. Religiosity is controlling. And that's what these religious leaders were doing. They were stiff-necked saying we are going to continue to rule over the people and no one else is going to take our spot. No one else is going to tell the people that they're free. They're in bondage to me. They've got to come to me. And they've got to... They were stiff-necked uncircumcised of heart, no compassion. Jesus rebuked them and says, "You, He says, you hypocrites to the leaders, you put weights and burdens on people and you don't lift one finger, you don't use one finger to lift the burden, you put more on them, but Jesus came to lift the weights and the burdens from you. That you can know Him and serve Him in freedom and in liberty, in spirit and in truth. And so they were always resisting. So what you understand here is that we can resist the working of the Holy Spirit. He is all-powerful. He's almighty. He's God. But at the same time, we have a free will. We have choices that we make every day of our life. We can choose to resist the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, or we can choose to say, Holy Spirit, have your way. What will we say today? I pray that we don't resist the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I pray we don't resist His leading and His guidance. I pray that we don't resist the Holy Spirit being our teacher, our guide, and our empowerment. Because here, He says, you always resist. And and we're going to end here. He says, you always resist the Holy Spirit of God. But to those who receive the Holy Spirit, there was power given. There was freedom given. There was liberty. The church in those days rejoiced. They were happy. They were set free. They came into a freedom where they rejoiced in God. They enjoyed God. Jesus said, I come that your joy may be full. God doesn't want you living in abuse or oppression or depression. God wants you to live in the joy of knowing your Savior, your God. And it is the Holy Spirit whose work it is To make Jesus known.